Searching the Scriptures with Watchman Alexander, Episode 48. Is everybody in the world going to die before someone finds the answer? Do I have to remind you that theory is the beginning of solution? What are we up against? Is it a dangerous thing? All I've ever known to be true is a lie. I didn't say it would be easy. I just said it would be the truth. I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Welcome to Searching the Scriptures with Watchman Alexander where we break away from religious systems and man-made dogma to learn the Word of God from an independent Hebraic perspective. And now your host, the prophecy buff who tackles the tough stuff, Alexander Lawrence. Hello and shalom. This is Watchman Alexander. And this is Terry Arnold. And today we're going to be discussing the Tower of Babel. Actually, it's probably going to be more than just today. (laughs) Knowing us, this is going to be a discussion that lasts at least a couple episodes. (laughs) Yeah. But it's so interesting. There's so many things that we can talk about related to the Tower of Babel. We can talk about what they were trying to accomplish and how that parallels with today. We can talk about the dividing up of the nations into different people groups with different languages and where they went. We could talk about the rebellious one that may have led this or may have um, been involved in, in some way in this project. We could talk about the sons of God. Like there's tons of things related to this. So we're going to have to pick and choose. Oh, yeah. But before we get into any of those topics, let's just read the text. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. And then after reading it in Genesis, we're going to jump over to the book of Jubilees and read it there as well, because the account is parallel, but has some important differences. I'm going to read these first uh, nine verses of Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Thank you. Okay, now let's jump to Jubilees chapter 10. Yes, sir. Starting in verse 18. And in the three and thirtieth Jubilee, in the first year, in the second week, Peleg took to himself a woman whose name was Lamna, the daughter of Sinar, and she bore him a son in the fourth year of this week. And he called his name Reu, for he said, Behold, 
the children of men have become evil through the wicked purpose of building for themselves a city and a tower in the land of Shinar. For they departed from the land of Ararat eastward to Shinar, for in his days they built the city and the tower, saying, Go to, let us ascend thereby into heaven. And they began to build, and in the fourth week they made brick with fire, and the bricks served them for stone, and the clay with which they cemented them together was asphalt which comes out of the sea, and out of the fountains of water in the land of Shinar. And they built it. Forty and three years they were building it. Its breadth, its breadth was two hundred and three bricks, and the height of a brick was the third of one. Its height amounted to five thousand four hundred thirty and three cubits and two palms. And the extent of one wall was thirteen stades, and of the other thirty stades. And Yahweh our Elohim said unto us, Now pause, this is an angel narrating this. So the angel is relating that Yahweh God gave them a command. Okay, picking back up. Behold, they are one people, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be withholden from them. Go to, let us go down and confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech and they may be dispersed into cities and nations, and one purpose will no longer abide with them until the day of judgment. And Yahweh descended, and we descended with him to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And he confounded their language. They no longer understood one another's speech, and they ceased then to build the city and the tower. For this reason, the whole land of Shinar is called Babel, because Yahweh did there confound all the language of the children of men. And from thence they were dispersed into their cities, each according to his language and his nation. And Yahweh sent a mighty wind against the tower and overthrew it upon the earth. And behold, it was between Assyria and Babel in the land of Shinar, and they called its name Overthrow. In the fourth week, in the first year, in the beginning thereof, in the fourth and thirtieth jubilee, were they dispersed from the land of Shinar. Okay. There's so much here. Where do we even start? Oh. Oh, of goodness. All right. Let's let's start with Genesis, which has the, the simpler account. Yeah. Less detail, mm-hmm. but that might help us. <laughs> I think it will. All right. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech, or basically it says like a, a single tongue. Um, you know, when we talk about this whole scene, we want to put like a little stake in the ground to say, hey, here God confounds or confuses the languages of the earth and basically makes more of them. And by the guesses of it from other spots, uh, which aren't here, that we've talked about, it's about 70 that he makes at this at this specific time. He keeps dividing them later. But um, he undoes this on the flip side in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. Right. He makes it like there's one language again when uh, the Holy Spirit comes down uh, in Acts chapter two. So I, I just want to I love that idea of him confounding and then basically undoing his work, <laughs> his work here uh, in the church and through um, through Israel at that time. I just put that note in. Yeah, um, so yeah, this that's will, good. Let's this remember, will, though, that at Acts there was a diversity, but yeah. there was unity. There was unity in the diversity. So when we put that there, when it says a single tongue, uh, you know, many of our listeners will have heard of things like speaking in tongues and and such and such. That's that's basically something where God overcomes Babel in that very spiritual gift. Mm-hmm. He overcomes it. And so that's another beauty, beautiful thing that he is doing with the body of Christ and the body of Yeshua, right? So um, when it says here, though, 
one tongue or one speech, one common speech. It's talking about everything about speech. You know, you can learn a language and know the formalities of that language. But when some, you know, you get catch two teenagers talking to each other, you're not going to catch the turns of phrase that they're doing. And, and this is saying that even the turns of phrase, like the phrases of that day, all of that was one. It wasn't, it wasn't like the same that like when they use figure of speech um, with each other, even that was the same. So everyone was understanding one another very perfectly. People, um, you know, people now we're used to people having different definitions of a word and all of those things. All of that was one at this time. And so when when God is speaking and he says later in verse six, he says, if as one people speak in the same language, they've begun to do this. And by saying begun to do this, he's talking about setting their hearts on evil, because this is exact opposite of what he's commanded them to do. Right. When Noah gets off the ark. Yeah, uh go ahead. Yeah. No, earlier, like one chapter ago, I think maybe two, he said spread out spread out. Right. And they basically were like, we don't want to do that. We don't, we don't want to be scattered over the earth. We want to be one. We want to stay together. And that almost sounds noble, right? If he hadn't have said that before, that sounds great. That sounds kind of like we do today. We'd like to be one, you know, not everybody. And those, those, uh, <laughs> those who are very concerned with one world government this, like, they're like, no, I want to be the opposite of that. And that's understandable as well. Right. Because we recognize that there there can be a wicked evil behind unity. And that's that's an important message to understand. But that's also why I wanted to share about um, Acts 2 at the same time, because God at the same time as the world had having its, uh, you know, one world government, one way of thinking, um, evil inclination. Right. God also has a, a flip side of that where he wants to do great work in diversity um, and through our diversity without destroying us. Right. Like it's the opposite. He's trying to pull us together in a meaningful and good way rather yeah. than setting our hearts on an evil purpose. Yeah. And I often teach that unity is not the problem. The problem is people with wicked hearts being unified in unrighteousness and God saying spread out was actually a command for our own good. It wasn't that he was trying to keep people away from each other. You know, oh, he, he's against societies or something like that. No, not at all. What he was doing was delaying the time at which there would be so many people together with one purpose and one mind that they would be able to do things. They were very advanced and way too powerful for somebody who's going to misuse it. That's the problem. We have wicked hearts. We always misuse things unless we're regenerated by the spirit and we're obeying God. We're going to misuse the powers that we gain. And so by being together, you gain more powers because you're putting your heads together and, and it increases the speed of development and the, uh, the number of ideas that you can come up with. And so that's beautiful, but not when it's used for the wrong purposes. So I think people misunderstand and sometimes wonder like, well, why did God do this? This seems like a a tyrannical thing to do. Like, no, you can't have a city or a tower and spread everybody out. No, no, he was protecting us from ourselves. And that has given us thousands of years to, well, it's really given God thousands of years to develop this story that he needed to develop um, the redemptive story and set the stage for everything that had to happen with his son and with his people after that. Um, and, and now we're back to the point where 
we're reversing Babel. We can finally come together, break those language barriers. Um, most of the world speaks English, but we have translators as well, um, even uh, artificial intelligent translators. And we're undoing that language barrier and coming together with the minds of all of these different nations to progress in technological terms to a place where we can once again do the kinds of things that they were doing here at the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. What, what is that that they were trying to accomplish? That's probably you know, the next subject we should just jump into. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to remember if they said it explicitly in Jubilees or not. Um, if there's gods in the heavens, they will make war with them. Was that in Jubilees or was that in Jasher? Then I'm picking it up. I can't remember. Uh, that must have been in Jasher. Yeah. And so, so their, their hearts are not just to, you know, make themselves make something high to go up into the heavens just, just to say, Hey, we did that. You know, um, you know, we have a space race going on again today, right. With getting to Mars and getting people there and all of these things. Like, um, I haven't heard the super evil plots underneath those yet. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure they might be there and there might be some people trying to work on that. But it, it's not as simple as trying to say, hey, look at what, what we can do. There is definitely some of that because it says in here in verse, uh, I want to say, yeah, verse four, right? We want to make a name for ourselves, right? That is definitely humanism, right? This is, this is the, the root and bed of humanism right here uh, at the Tower of ba Babylon. Um, and for those of you that don't know what humanism is, it's basically saying, there's nothing that humans can't do. We can do everything ourselves. And it ultimately says we don't need God. We don't need the concept of God. We just need to keep getting better with what we can do with our human ingenuity. And no matter what the price or whatever, we can get there and we can do accomplish anything we set our minds to. Right. Essentially, we'll become gods, have control over all of nature, and then we'll be able to live forever and do what we want. Yeah. You're right. They, they have that in mind. They also say in verse four, lest we be scattered abroad on the surface of the whole earth. So there's the rebellious part, I think, because God had said, scatter yourselves, you know, spread out. And they say, no, we'll, we'll do this other thing lest we be scattered um, in this way that we're not happy about. Uh, so there's the rebellion. But also there's this thing that he says about what they'll be able to accomplish if they keep working together. Yeah. So he says in verse six, this is what they begin to do. So I think referencing that the building of a tower, but also just the rebellion, you know, they're one people, they're of one mind and they're rebelling as one. And so then he says, now nothing will be withheld from them, which they intend to do. Other translations say something like they will be able to accomplish anything. Let me switch over to another one. Let's see. ESV says nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them, which I think is a pretty good translation. Yeah. And that's really important to like get that there's actually a nod to what uh, a part of the message of humanism here. Mm -hmm. Right. We, we're seeing God say, yeah, that's actually that's actually kind of true. Unfortunately, you guys are trying to do something wicked and evil. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think in it is in Jasher where they talk about how they built the, the tower as high as they got it. You know, they got it to where they they got to the point to where they were so at you know, in unity with this purpose that if someone fell off the tower that was building it, they would mourn more for a brick that fell down and got broken than a person that fell down. So it was one of those things where 
it was like not even all for one, one for all, unless the one was the project itself, right? Um, individuals were thrown aside. And this is a, a difficult battle that we're actually still raging today, right? There's, um, there's these ideas of collectivism, people who care about the group, and then versus individualism, right? And in America, we're definitely huge on individualism. That's a, a way and style of thinking where we're talking about the, we raise up the individual and what the individual can do. Whereas collectivism is, is more attuned to like how things in the East are. That's why their governments and things are more communist based and, and things of that nature is because that's actually a like a collectivism style of government. Um, whereas here, we, we're all about, even with our democracy, right, we say the individual vote, every vote, individual vote matters, right? And that's the idea that's behind it, because we, we hold up the individual more than we hold up the group. Um, and so that battle is still raging even there. Here in, here in Babel, we see collectivism on the very negative side here. Right. Since you brought up the story in Jasher, let me just take a minute and address that. You and I may be on different sides of the, the argument when it comes to this, but I'm just going to go ahead and let the listeners have those perspectives. The description of the tower in Jasher is a lot different than the one in Jubilees. The dimensions are quite a bit different. In Jubilees, it's big. It's very big. But in Jasher, it's gargantuan <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. to the point that it's not physically possible. And I personally have a lot of problems with Jasher. This is one of them, um, that it was so tall, they would not have been able to breathe. They would have frozen to death um, as they were working up there. They wouldn't have been able to, to even get the resources that they needed, like water and building supplies and food up to that height because it took so long just to ascend the tower. Um, it would have been basically out in space at the top. And so there are problems there, uh, not just because there's a discrepancy between the different books, but uh, it just seems like there's impossibilities there. On a tangent, just the last time that I was going through the Torah, I found uh, another contradiction between Torah and Jasher, which is that Jasher says Lot had no descendants because of the wickedness that was committed by his daughters. And then in Torah, we see that God actually tells Israel not to bother the descendants of Lot as they pass by to go into the promised land, that um, those people are, are protected and are going to, you know, they pushed out some giants in that area and God is going to preserve them there. So that was something that didn't line up. But that's just my take on Jasher. I mean, Terry may argue with that and say, uh, have some explanations about those things, but um, I don't see it. I tend to prefer the Jubilees version of things just because we have the Dead Sea Scrolls copies of Jubilees and we don't have any of Jasher. Yeah, I, I think that's really helpful, um, Alex. I, I, I should also explain how, how I approach Jasher and in general where most uh, extra biblical texts start for me. Um, there are some that I, uh, I respect more than others. Um, with Jasher, I treat it like a collection of a collection of probably what's the best way to maybe talk about it? Maybe like um, almost like I would a sermon. Like if I hear a sermon from a preacher today, right, there's going to be a main point that they're trying to drive. And oftentimes on the way to that main point, they might make some errors. 
And so I hold everything with a with an open hand and say, I can still get something useful from it. And that's typically where I have um, most of the extra biblical texts start. Some get more credence than others. Like, you know, obviously I'll, I'll pay more attention to the ones that, uh, for instance, like the book of Enoch, I'm going to have more credence to that one because, or, or pay more attention to that one because I have scriptures that point to that book explicitly and like quote from it. And so it makes it more um, credible of a source for me, you know, and even with something like the book of Enoch, it's not really one book, right? People, people talk about this and kind of glaze over this, but there's like lots of parts to it. And some manuscripts come from here or there. And right. I, I don't put my faith in manuscripts at any time. Um, and I would say that even in some, and you know, I hope the listeners don't hear this incorrectly, but in some ways, like there are lots of different manuscripts of even our canonical, our, our canon scriptures, like the ones that are in regular Bibles, um, all the manuscripts for those aren't necessarily perfect. And they don't have to be because our faith is really in Jesus and in the Father more so than it is in that. Um, something I say all the time is, you know, we have to start practicing better uh, phrases because one of the phrases we say too often, in, in my opinion, and hopefully people won't hear this as me tearing down the Bible, I love the Bible. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing podcasts like this. Um, But we have to start practicing around people of faith of saying that Jesus is the word of God more so than saying the Bible is the word of God. Like, is the Bible the word of God? Like, yes, I would say that wholeheartedly. It's just that's not really as big as saying that Jesus is the word of God, because then we are encompassing way more truth when we say that. Then we, when we say something like the Bible is the word of God, I didn't realize we were going to get into a whole extra biblical uh, <laughs> text uh, talk here, but it seems like it's an appropriate spot. So since we're using this heavily, we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, well, that's, any other that's thoughts? enough. I, I didn't mean to take us way <laughs> off. You know, we can come back to Genesis. Yeah. Any other thought there? You got anything? No, no. I, I like what you said. Um, especially about approaching these as like sermons, you can still get something out of it, even if uh, some of the details are, are incorrect. I think we just have to be careful when we start to try and build any kind of doctrine uh, from these things that, that we make sure that whatever we're picking from these extra biblical texts is lining up with what we find in the canonical scriptures. Yes, sir. I think, I think in a later episode, not this one, <laughs> we should talk, talk about, um, I'd like to share my story of how I read specifically Jasher the first time. I think that was the first one I ever read um, of extra biblical text and how I approached that. That was, that was, I think mm-hmm. that's some good stuff for it to share with others. Okay. So what verse are we on? It seems like here? Jasher was written in the middle ages and it was written by a Jewish man. And he probably was drawing on a lot of Jewish folklore and oral traditions and such. So, Yep. There are some traditions and some stories that were handed down that probably were still mostly correct or had elements of truth. And so if yep. he was relying on those things and, and inserting them into his fictional narrative, then there's going to be some truths in there. Yeah. And it's yep. just a matter of, you know, finding those and then not getting hung up on stuff that, that might might trip us up when we come to understand other scripture. And that's that's where knowing the scripture, the canonical scripture is extremely well serves us because it's really easy to forget about one or two passages that are scattered throughout the prophets or something. And those things contradict what we're trying to draw out of a, an extra biblical text. Yes, and sir. 
that's where it gets hairy. So we, we got to know the regular scriptures really well. Really, really well. Um, since you went there, what I actually did with Jasher was I, I read him side by side because I quite honestly, I was afraid to read Jasher at all. Like I had grown up in a place where it was kind of condemned to think of anything else as having spiritual guidance besides the 66 books. And so I was literally afraid to do this. But since I had, you know, read, heard about Jasher from the scripture, I was like, okay, there's some book out there called the book of the upright. Let me go, which that's what Jasher means, by the way. Um, Let me go see what it's talking about to find it. And I felt justified for that since it was in the Bible text that it, that actually alluded to it. I said, well, if somebody's going to tell me like I shouldn't have read it and the Bible basically hinted that it was there for me to read, (laughs) I wanted to go look. I was like, well, okay. And so I read them side by side in the first spot where I found trouble. And this might be helpful for this conversation. I I found trouble with the accounts of how long people lived in this, actually in the verses that are to come here for, uh, Chapter 11, uh, just after this Tower of Babel, it talks about, you know, Shem was 100 years old and so forth. And that whole lineage, as it breaks down, there are differences in the numbers uh, between those. And, and I later found out that those same differences are in the Septuagint and in other places, the uh, Masoretic text. Um, some of those same discrepancies with how long people lived, et cetera, um, I, I found it to be interesting to me though that it seemed when i really evaluated where those errors were happening they had very similar um amount of errors like i saw several of them that were literally like a hundred years difference between them um and i think somebody did this work but i I didn't do this part of the work they added up those hundred years and it was like 700 as though it had something to do with where Shem lined up with the line. And so that was a whole nother talk. But the point was that I was reading Jasher side by side. Each time I read an account in Jasher, I was like, you know, some cases I, I didn't have any account or any parallel whatsoever in regular scripture, but anything that had one, I read it side by side so that I could compare and go what's different. And then also what's in conflict and what isn't, what is actually possible that I didn't realize was possible by reading um, the, the regular scriptures. I didn't realize certain things were possible. For instance, the, the biggest one to me at that time was way back. I didn't even realize that it was possible for Noah and Abraham to be living at the same time, like to actually be contemporaries. And I think we shared that in one of the earlier episodes, but that was actually a huge piece of understanding that I was completely missing. Like the idea of Noah and Abraham, when I had always read like a Westerner thinking very chronologically about how the scriptures were written, I missed that. And that actually is a crucial piece of information to like, put the pieces together of what um, you're actually being told in the regular scriptures. So it helped me when I read it like that the first time, it helped me actually understand the regular scriptures much better than I had before I read it, which was something that I praised at an eye for as soon as it happened. Yeah, that's a good way to do it, to read them side by side and have the Bible out, read the portion in Torah that's parallel to the portion in Jasher or Jubilees, whatever. And that's, that's what we've been doing so far on this podcast. So, yes, <laughs> take that <laughs> run with it. 
you mentioned the chronology and we talked about it before on a, I don't know, several episodes ago about the fact that the chronology in the Masoretic text and the Septuagint and the Samaritan Pentateuch and uh, Jubilees and Jasher, they're all different, <laughs> oh, which yeah. is incredibly infuriating, but they're all different, which means that people at some point change these numbers um, or that the texts, some of those texts are invalid and just in general. Um, but what that tells me is that there was an original that has it correct. And, uh, and I, I hope that one of the texts is correct, that they're not all in some way corrupted. Um, I really hope one of them is right. And by a careful enough study um, of the narrative, maybe we can figure some of that out. Right now, I lean toward the idea that Jubilees has the correct chronology, simply because it is so detailed. And there were so many copies found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I think that the guys at Qumran originally, um, when it was founded, and at least for the first 100 years or 200 years, were really trying to preserve the correct biblical way of life. And we're really trying to preserve the priesthood and to preserve the scriptures that they had. So because those are the oldest, and I think that those guys were intent on preserving them, and I think John the Baptist was uh, from that camp, I would suspect the Jubilees has it right, and the other ones have been manipulated along the way at some point. But can't prove that. It's just a theory right now. <laughs> I'm on. I'm on. I'm one tongue with you on that theory right there. Go. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. So let's take a few more minutes just to talk about the description of the tower. Yeah. So it, it tells us um, that they didn't use stone. They used brick that was made from clay, and they used bitumen for mortar. Um, mm -hmm. it's, and it's technological ingenuity right here. It's it like is. Step one. And, and this is in southern Mesopotamia. There is a lot of bitumen in southern Mesopotamia, and uh, mm -hmm. they have a lot of swampland down there, really low um, coastlands and swamplands uh, where you can harvest this bitumen. It's just abundant. So it makes perfect sense that they would have used what was available in that plain, the plain of Shinar. And, uh, and that right there should tell us something about the purpose of this tower. And the traditional interpretation has been that the tower was intended to be so high, so tall physically, that it would reach up to heaven. That these people thought they could literally reach up vertically and get into the third heaven. And I don't believe that that's true. And there's a few reasons, but probably the biggest one is just the place that they built it. They built it on a plane. They built it um, at the lowest possible point, even though they had come from a higher elevation because they come, came from Ararat. Ararat is uh, in a mountain range in Turkey, most likely. Some people yeah. say it's in Iran, but Either way, like they were in the mountains, they could have built from there, which would have given them a higher elevation to start with. Now, um, you know, all of this says eastward, and that obviously to all of us is going to sound super generic, right? Eastward. Um, when and I need to look up to see which which Hebrew word is actually used there to talk about east. But um, I know I've seen at least one YouTube video that says this tower is probably some mountain. Do you remember the mountain? Uh, I, I think you've heard this too. Alex, where it's like some mountain in Asia that's further away from what we typically think of as Shinar, right? Where like a where they're locating the tower further eastward. Yeah, 
like much further and that it's some huge flat plain like that the reason why they would choose that spot and that it's actually just a mountain now like the part that's left over is some leftover mountain which has a very strangely human looking shape um i wish i knew the mountain's name i saw a whole video on this and i, I thought it was interesting i didn't like full sail buy into everything they were saying but it was an interesting thought like what if we're getting this whole plane of shinar thing wrong as far as where it is i mean there's lots of stuff that's like that where we, we think archaeologically it's in this area or that area and we could be way off um well i've heard those two theories they don't hold a lot of weight for me archaeologically speaking because we know that the very first people after the flood were living in southern mesopotamia you know there there's a lot of really old stuff down there in the area that uh, the book of jubilees is describing because it says between assyria and babel um well assyria yeah. we know is is up between the the two rivers it's the euphrates and the tigris yep yeah um, so that's not further east into into the area of iran or india and i did find the mountain mount kailash um in the king high tibet plateau Tibet. Well, that's very far east. Yeah, like two thousand miles far east of it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's always the other stuff too about uh, you know our our thoughts of when the tectonic plates really got busted up real good. Um, you know, whether or not that that happened multiple times or it happened here when they got spread out that first time is another thing to a link in the chain here when we're trying to discern what really happened at Babel. For my purposes right now, it doesn't super matter. Um, I'm more interested in the the purpose of the tower yeah, and yeah. the implications of, of them doing that and how we're now trying to return to that. But the one other thing I wanted to, to mention before we finish this episode is that in Genesis 11, verse 4, they give us um, a description of their what they're trying to accomplish with this. And it says mm -hmm. a tower with its top in the heavens. Now that phrase in Hebrew, which I'm not going to try and say to you because I'll slaughter it really is something Give it like, a shot, man. I slaughter stuff all the time. <laughs> nope. Not going to do it. <laughs> um, but what it seems to be saying is the head of it or the, the top of it in the heavens. Um, so the idea that some translations put across of reaching up to the heavens is not necessarily there in the Hebrew. It's more like the head of it is just situated in the heavens. Yeah. Um, and so and that so could not, that might not be anything about actual height. It very well could be about the head um, being positionally in the spirit realm or somehow breaking into the spirit realm which is something that would be uh, an argument that would be strengthened by the ziggurats that are all over Mesopotamia and elsewhere in the Middle East, pyramids in the Middle East, which almost always had a temple at the top. This was where they worshiped the gods and they expected that the gods would come down and, and manifest in these temples atop these artificial mountains. And so that, that whole idea um, could be present here in verse four, where they thought, oh, we're going to somehow be able to, to create this, this device or this architectural 
uh, structure of some sort that is going to allow us to enter the spirit realm. Yeah, and and I just want to confirm what Alex is saying here. Since I, I guess I, I won't be I won't be a scaredy cat like like Alex was not pronouncing these. I'm gonna go ahead and slaughter them. <laughs> <laughs> so the words here, um, you know, in Hebrew. The, there's actually a single letter that means and, and that's the Vav. And it, it goes in front, of, and it's actually used more like a period a lot of the times to connect stuff, connect ideas and say, this idea ends here, and here's another one, right? And so if I were to try to translate this literally in verse four, um, I, beginning with Vayomeru, uh, it'd be, and they did say, um, come and build us, for ourselves, city and tower and head his in heavens, right? That's like the most literal translation I can come up with right here for what's being said. So what he, um, if I slow that down, right, it says, basically phrases it like, we're going to build us a city and a tower and the head his, and the his could be, I can refer to the tower because in in Hebrew, stuff is still masculine or, or, or feminine. Like it's, there's not, there's only a, only when it's, um, what I would say when it's plural, they have like a gender neutral kind of form of plural. But most of the time, even for plural things, they have, uh, either masculine or feminine specified. And here, um, you know, you have the city and then you have the tower which if you have that agreement, I think city, the word for city is a feminine, a feminine noun. So it's not talking about the city. It had to be talking about the tower. So the tower's head, which again, head is also very generic as well. Just like Alex is saying, head could be like, like headquarters, right? <laughs> um, headquarters in the same way. Uh, it could be just the authority of it. The running of it is run from somewhere in the heavens. Um, and so it's it's actually broken down much more simply that way. Head his is in the heavens. Yeah. How mysterious. What exactly does that mean? Because they couldn't have expected that they were going to build this thing from a plane that's almost sea level all the way up to, to a point that would actually give them access to the third heaven. You know, considering how high up the clouds are, I, to, for them to think that they could. I mean, maybe, maybe that was in their head. But yeah. today, God doesn't seem to mind when we build extremely high towers, he doesn't seem to mind when we put people into the upper atmosphere or even into space. Depends on whether or not you believe we've ever been into space. Some people don't, but either way, <laughs> we've been into the upper atmosphere and um, that's much higher than any tower. And yet God doesn't seem to take action against that. Um, so what was it about this tower other than just the rebellious attitude? What was it about this tower that was offensive? And, uh, and Jasher paints an interesting picture there where they actually build it up high enough that they can touch the firmament or something like that. And they, they're able to, uh, they think they can break into the heavens and then assault God with bows and arrows. It's <laughs> just yeah. ridiculous. This is very ridiculously comical. Yeah. I, but, I, I remember uh, laughing out loud real hard when I yeah. read that the first time. Yeah. But what we're learning now through advanced sciences is that we can, in some ways, um, access other dimensions. And that's what some of these particle colliders are, uh, especially CERN, has set out to do. They try to smash particles together at such high speeds that it breaks reality down into its very 
most elementary particles, and then they mm-hmm. they see what happens to space time and to the particle world and everything at that moment of collision. But scientists that are working on that have expressed concern about uh, the possibility of creating rips in the fabric of space-time and uh, potentially opening portals to other dimensions or creating black holes. And then scientists are also using their observations of the particle physics to try and determine how particles in other dimensions are affecting the behavior of the particles in this realm. And they speak of it that way. This is not me just, you know, manufacturing something. They literally teach that the the behavior of particles at a subatomic level on in this physical plane does not make sense unless you understand that they are interacting with particles on other dimensional planes. That is correct. And so, uh, you know, to not help, because as soon as I say quantum physics, like I'm going to lose a whole bunch of our listeners, but um, <laughs> if we're talking about quantum particles here, right? There's like things, uh, concepts that you can look up on Google, like quantum entanglement, where two particles that are entangled together basically have like a secret connection. They can be infinitely far apart. And when you change one, the other one changes in response uh, because of that quantum connection that they have, or what's called quantum entanglement. So, they they are very much you know playing around with these ideas and things and trying to find out uh via brute force methods <laughs> how uh this stuff interacts and how how the smallest particles smartest parts of us are actually made up and how they interact with each other and of course they want to understand it so that they can manipulate it and master it and do things that to to us today would sound like magic in the same way that you know a cellular phone would uh, as my homie called it look like a star trek device to people in the 60s right like um that's what you know we're after there with our human technology technological advances and our research and studies now now is that all good it's the same problem as with tower babel it all depends on the heart of those who are trying to wield that technology the internet is a great it's a great and awesome thing right but we all know that the internet can be used for good and it can use for very be used for very bad things just as well right we're here using the internet right now to give you guys this podcast on how to understand you know the the written word of God and it's all of the holiness and the the greatness of it and the interconnection and all of that. But, you know, there are others who are using it to teach people how to make bombs and to take more lives with greater impact. Um, All of that stuff is all inside of uh, every advancement that we make as mankind. Speaking of bombs, look at the nuclear capabilities that we have now. That is correct. Einstein was not trying to make the atomic bomb when he came up with his theories, but that's how it got used. Right. First use. Anyway, I don't think the people at Babel were trying to, uh, well, they weren't using particle colliders, but I think they (laughs) were probably trying to do something with arcane arts or some advanced techniques that we no longer have to be able to enter the spiritual dimensions. And one of the reasons I say this is if you're to believe Jubilees, which I do on this uh, particular thing, someone named Canem, great-grandson of Noah, I believe, had found the writings of the Watchers, and he didn't tell Noah about it. He kept it to himself. And so he um, he recovered 
all of these arcane teachings that had come from these fallen angels before the flood. And with those things, uh, I think they would have then had some of what they needed to be able to attempt to do something so advanced as get into the spirit realm. I think all of those things are lost to us today, as far as I know. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But they had advanced techniques from the angels. All of this is good stuff. Yeah. All right, we have to stop right there for this particular episode, but we're going to pick back up next time. We're going to get more into the Jubilee's account that we read, but we haven't really dissected. And, um, and then we'll branch off on some of the other topics um, related to the tower, uh, such as the, uh, the division of the nations. <laughs> How many more topics can there be? A lot. <laughs> oh, A lot. Don't, don't tempt me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Until next time. Yeah, until next time, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Watchmen out. Shalom. Shalom.